Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter, out loud, looking at Exodus chapter 8 today. These are such fun chapters, right? Well, I mean, fun's maybe not the best word. I mean, maybe it is okay, though, right? I mean, of course, it's judgment. It's, it's wrath. It's, I mean, you can only imagine how terrible things would have been in Egypt when you've got now in this chapter frogs and gnats and... Is it is it flies? Is it wild beasts? We'll want to talk about that. Um, yeah, all these things going on. Um, you know, these are the sorts of stories that you know they're really fun to tell the kids. Uh, but you know, it's not just a series of you know animals that God's sending here. There's these patterns, and we talked a little bit about that last time. And I, I think there's some connections we're going to want to make, especially to Genesis, and then looking ahead, what we learn about salvation and judgment in the Lord Jesus. So a lot, a lot of things going on uh, beneath the surface. Um, even in the midst of what, what is just a cool uh, story of what happened uh, that we have here in Exodus chapter 8. Joining us today, we've got Pastor Fur, uh, Pastor Fur, <laughs> off to a good start this morning. <laughs> we got Pastor Christopher Morandi, pastor at St. John Bingen in Decatur, Indiana. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back on with us. It's great to be here. Wonderful to be here. Looking at uh, especially one of, one of my favorite stories of the Bible, the the Exodus narrative. Yes, yes, the the plagues, and and today you get the the plague of frogs, and uh, I you know I've always thought that the plague of frogs was was always kind of interesting because I mean, and maybe this is just. I guess saying something about like how like my my own childhood, but I always thought frogs were really cool. Um, my my <laughs> sister like had pet frogs, and we would like take them out and like play with them, and we thought they they were really cool. And and so I don't know. I, I think that for my sister and I, we we always thought the plague of frogs didn't sound so bad, and be like, oh cool, we could actually like play with them all. Uh, but <laughs> uh, clearly, it's presented here as a pretty terrible affliction. Yeah, and, and actually, it gets gets Pharaoh going pretty good. He uh, and his people. They, I, I guess, I guess having a few frogs in a bucket is one thing, and having them everywhere in your house is another. <laughs> right. Well, and and I think that maybe there's just a little bit more about frogs, perhaps, than than what we're than what we are appreciating here. That it's maybe not necessarily about the frogs per se, and and, and I think that that might be. Um, what we see in, in all of these things that maybe, maybe it's not like the animals um, that themselves that are so important, but kind of like what, what they're doing or maybe even what they're not doing. So uh, yeah, some cool things to be talking about today. And uh, yeah, let's, without any further ado, we got, cause we got three of these to talk about. We got frogs, we got gnats and then flies. And so we want to have time to talk about each. So let's turn to the text as we get started. Would you brother open us up with a prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that in the days of old you delivered your people of Israel from bondage in Egypt, setting, setting a pattern of salvation that you yourself fulfilled when you came into this world for your own exodus to bring us out of the bondage of sin and death. Lord Jesus, as we reflect upon this great deed of salvation that pointed to the ultimate deed of salvation, that you would keep us ever mindful of the deliverance that you have won for us over all the powers that stood up against us, all the enemies, sin, death, and the power of the devil. We pray that you would bless our time together and our time in your word. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so 
uh, we're going to go ahead and read the chapter the, the whole way through, and, and hopefully that helps us kind of uh, have some of these patterns jump out at us. But then when, once we're done reading it, we'll, we'll go back and we'll look at each one of these in detail. But before we read, um, anything that you think we ought to be re especially recalling from the previous chapter or bearing in mind for what follows, just, just kind of getting us ready to keep our ears open. Yeah, I, I think probably the patterns are what we should be looking for because there there is development in this chapter, uh, both with how the plagues themselves operate, uh, with how Pharaoh reacts to them, uh, with how God uh, imposes the the plagues, and then especially pay attention to the the magicians. Uh, there, there's a chapter eight really is a transition uh, from from one set of plagues to, to another set where things kind of keep escalating. And so to pay attention to that, I think, is, is very instructive, very helpful in us kind of understanding, and, and instead of just kind of seeing it as a random collection of bad events to kind of yeah. see what, uh, the direction, the trajectory that's going on here. I really like what you're saying about one set and another set, and this being a transition point. I, I really do think there's something to that, but we'll we'll go ahead and read it through, and then we'll uh, see if we can try to figure that out together. But here we go, Exodus chapter 8 from the top. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses, and Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and when <clears throat> and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So, Moses and Aaron went out from, the, from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may come, become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. 
Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. So I think that definitely that transition, um, I mean, you really see it, I think, in the response of Pharaoh here, right? That, you know, up yep. until the flies here, uh, it's just like, you know, whatever. Oh, my magicians can do that, or I'm, I'm just not listening. But it's the flies where this is the first time that it's like Pharaoh... It comes to the bargaining table, so to speak, and he's actually like, "Well, okay, I'll, I'll let you guys do this, but just do it like this." Or, "Well, okay, how about how about like that?" You know, so that's that's where you. I mean, it's interesting that now you've got this. So um, that that I think seems to me to be like maybe like the big transition. But I mean, what else do you see? Just kind of overarching in this chapter. Well, you you also see, and I, and I think I think the re response of Pharaoh is very very fascinating. In that, uh, as you said, by the time the flies come, he's he's ready to negotiate. He's ready, but then very simply, it's interesting. He goes through all that rigmarole to negotiate, and then in verse thirty-two, uh, he doesn't. He just doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, but that does you see a little bit more panic on Pharaoh's part. You're also seeing kind of a a loosening of what he's bargaining for because it, now now Moses has him to the point of a three-day journey into the wilderness okay well mm -hmm. that's not exactly what what God is is intending he's intending full complete total liberation so we've got a few more places right. to go to get to that point and we're all we're also seeing the transition uh, as Pharaoh is is hardening his heart 
and and here and, and that's a huge topic and it's been a controversial topic over over the centuries but certainly sure. in chapter 8 it's pharaoh generally hardening his own heart and then eventually you're going to have in the next few chapters you're going to have god acting to harden his heart sounds very much like romans 1 where uh, the worst thing God can do <laughs> in judgment is to let you have your own way. And that's essentially what he ends up doing to Pharaoh. So, so we're seeing a movement in that direction. I would say also we're seeing a movement in uh, a transition in the magicians, because the first two plagues mm-hmm. magicians uh, were able to just replicate themselves. We, uh, we remember the familiar story that, that, that you covered on this broadcast, of the staffs being being cast on the ground and magicians are able to do that too. Well, now mm-hmm. we get to that and we finally find something that they can't do. Um, right, and right, when right. they can't do it, then they <laughs> give a confession and now we've kind of crossed a boundary. And now we're having, having events uh, that the magicians can't do at all. And the last transition I'm seeing as well is we yeah. finally go from the first three plagues, which were universal, uh, it seems, to then explicitly in the fourth plague, there's a distinction. And, and that distinction, I believe, is going to be explicitly throughout the rest of the plagues. Uh, we're going, to, we're going right. to see that distinction God making between his people and, uh, and the people of Egypt. So it, do these things, I, I think one of the questions, and certainly it's been a question that, that people have asked throughout the centuries is, did these things happen of themselves or not? Well, there are many indications in the text that this is miraculously happening. Okay, the, the gnats mm-hmm. come from a pile of dirt. The, the distinction, I think, is the big, big one uh, that God right. proved to the Egyptians and, I guess, skeptical people for the next, you know, uh, several millennia. Uh, he's proving to them that, uh, uh, that, that this is a divine action. Uh, if it were not a divine action, the, it, Goshen would have as many flies as Egypt. And so we're seeing all right. these movements as, as, we, as we move through this chapter. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I was thinking that, you know, those, those other two transitions that you mentioned, I was looking at those, you know, the, the magician's reaction and, and then also um, you know, the distinction. Those things seem to all highlight and, and be characteristic of the same division, right? It's, it's right, right between gnats and flies like there's there is something big there that before that the the magicians are i mean the magician they don't even really come into the picture um after this i mean i mean maybe like like a very brief mention but not in the same way it's just not it's not the same situation um you know pharaoh's whole posture has changed so i mean it really it really sets off the the stuff that came before with the stuff that comes after um it's and it's all kind of pointing to that division which which then makes me wonder then, okay, so what is what is it then about these first ones and then these second ones? Like why this break? What's what's that getting at? Like, are, is there a different significance to the plagues that came before and the plagues that came after? And I think that part of uh, that question actually gets to something um, that, that you said earlier, um, which, and, and this is something that's, it's all over our English translations. It's the numbering of the plagues, right? Um, because especially if you're going to see any kind of special significance in all this stuff, and this is kind of like what we saw in like in Revelation also, you, you kind of have to have some sense of the sequence. And so the question kind of begins, okay, now hang on a second. What are we counting 
as a plague, <laughs> you know, and what and what and what not. Like, as you mentioned earlier, for instance, that uh, when it comes to the magicians, anyway, uh, the first things that the magicians replicate is actually the staff being turned into a snake, uh, a monstrous snake, right? But typically, that's not counted as a plague. Um, in, in fact, usually the first one, and this is what we saw, I think, last time, you know, we got the numbering here in our titles. The first one is usually counted by people as um, the Nile being turned to blood. But, I mean, it's interesting because nothing actually in the text says that that was the first plague or, um, you know, or that, you know, the snakes were the first plague. Um, in fact, the, the thing that I thought was actually kind of interesting was the first time the plague word gets used in the Hebrew um, I, I believe is actually here in connection to the frogs um, that I think this is where you get that word here. Yeah. I mean, I think we got it even in the English translation. Yeah. I will plague all your country with frogs. Um, and the next time it's going to be used this plague root. Um, I don't think it comes up again until the killing of the firstborn. So, I mean, what, what do you make of that? Yeah, it, it, it's similar to um, similar to the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, the, the <laughs> yeah, I thought about that too. <laughs> Ten Commandments doesn't <laughs> doesn't say this is the first one, this is the second one, but we have other places in the Bible where it says, "Hey, there's ten of them," and so that's created yeah. controversy throughout throughout the centuries of the church. So yeah. it might even be better to just call them signs here, though. I think yeah. what we what we find convenient is that if you count them, uh, counting the Passover. Uh, you have 10. If you go from the water yeah. to the blood to the Passover, you, you have 10. Um, mm. And for us, that's, and for, for biblical Hebrews, that's, uh, that's a convenient number. That's a, that's a good number to uh, completion, uh, the complete right. destruction of, uh, of Egypt. Um, and, and I would say, too, you have, there, there's kind of a bookend to it as well, the firstborn idea, because you have a, the, the blood of the firstborn, the firstborn of, is, of Israel were cast in the Nile. And so, in my mind, that's why the Nile is struck first. Now, there are other reasons, too, but uh, it, it's, it's certainly connected to the death of Israel's firstborn in the Nile. And then, and it's blood, right? Turn to blood. And then, of course, you've got, you're going to have blood of lambs and, and dead firstborn in the last plague as well. So, so you kind of have a, have a bookending uh, idea on both ends ends there. Um, right. I think too this this idea of of going from uh, the river to the frogs, the gnats to the flies, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm too I'm I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on the flies because I I'm chewing I've been chewing over too why why are the flies so significant What is so significant yeah. about these flies? Um, there's you strike the Nile. And then mm -hmm. you strike the creatures that come from the Nile, um, mm -hmm. and uh, or you don't necessarily strike them, but you cause them to rise up. And they're they're doing. I, I think we would be alarmed if if the natural creatures were doing uh, strange things like this. I mean, the, the, that would alarm us. We're we're used to frogs hopping away into into ponds, uh, or being captured by children and put in buckets. But uh, this uh, to to have them come up. And fill the land. Now it sounds a little kind of a little strange to us, but but it would be terrifying to <laughs> to have the natural right. order just go crazy like this. And I don't know. I was I was digging around in my office and I cannot find it. But I've heard of people who have tried to consider the plagues to be an uncreation uh, mm -hmm. to try and connect 
different plagues, the different days of creation. I've seen that attempted. I don't know if I've been fully satisfied with anyone's attempt to do that. I've also seen, and, and even our Lutheran study Bible has an indication of this, where the plagues are connected to various Egyptian gods. That's yeah. a possibility, too. Um, once again, that doesn't ever work kind of perfectly. And it seems like the plagues, I, at least in the, the text, never seems to mention the Egyptian gods. Uh, it's really just going after Pharaoh, Pharaoh and his people. Right. So, but those, those are possibilities. You strike the Nile, and then the natural order just goes haywire. And, and that's a terrifying thing. And I wonder if it's it kind of a cumulative thing. And then we get to the flies. And, right. and that, in a sense, is a, is a big-time transition point. Not quite the straw that broke the camel's back. We're not quite to that point yet, but enough to get Pharaoh panicked. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. And I think that, that that sets us up really well to kind of consider the different options, because we want to be thinking about uh, yeah, the theme of creation, like you were mentioning, you know, is there a kind of decreation theme? Um, and, you know, mentioning numbers, you know, um, you know, things like, you know, we got the number 10. Well, if something about creation is going on, we might suspect that the number seven is involved. And actually, last time um, I even suggested this when we we're looking at Exodus 7, that at the end of chapter seven, very ominously, seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So I mean, there, I mean, I actually do think there is supposed to be some kind of creation Genesis 7 thing we're supposed to get out of that. Uh, but um, as we we're just looking at it here, but you, you look at the, the plagues and we, we count way past seven, we get to like 10 at least, right? So uh, so that that's kind of like one thing to kind of scratch our heads about. And then, and then yeah, I, I like what you were saying, you know, like, you know, what is so bad about the flies, right? I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of people would be like, well, I mean, the flies are terrible, but I mean, the, the gnats or, you know, depending on how you translate it, the, the lice, right? I mean, that seems even worse, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you know, uh, so what, what is what is it there? So, um, yeah, I think those are the, the good questions to be, to be asking. Um, one of the things that that strikes me is that uh, <laughs> striking um, is, is that you know the the first few um, signs, whatever they are, they seem in some ways to be like creative, if I can put it that way. And then the second set almost seems more explicitly decreative because um, in the first set you've got you know t God takes this lifeless staff and he turns it into a snake. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the, in the next scene uh, with, with the Nile, I mean, it's interesting because like he, he brings this this stuff, whatever it is, it covers, you know, it, the, the, the Nile's uh, blood. Um, it, it The stuff is all over the place. It covers the rocks in the trees, people have to start digging underground to find water that hasn't been tainted by whatever this stuff is. Right. Um, this I mean, this blood stuff. Right. Um, and then in the, in the next bits, you've got, you know, like these frogs seem to be, you know, it says like the Nile shall swarm here is that word. And um, and, I, and I think that's the word that we I guess I didn't check. Um, but I mean, in English translation, that's the same word as the, the creation anyway account in Genesis one. Um, with the things that live in the water so mm -hmm. um and and then of course then the gnats it's like the 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 earth it the the earth itself turns into these things which sounds very much again like genesis god creating from the earth so it, it seems like maybe um the first set's like a kind of creation thing hey look i can create this stuff um but then after that it's like hey i can just destroy stuff or ruin stuff um, because I noticed that 
when you look at the flies, um, it's it's not even necessarily that you know God gave them all the heebie-jeebies, but it says there that the the land was ruined. I believe is the term. So um, I want to I want to get your get your thoughts, and, and we kind of kind of keep bouncing this back and forth here. But gonna take a break. But everybody, hang on. We're looking at Exodus chapter eight on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. Thursday, June 11th, 2020, KFUO Radio celebrates with our day sponsors, Joe and Robin Groner of Green Valley, Arizona. Joe and Robin made a gift to KFUO Radio in appreciation of Joe and Robin's pastor, Reverend Tony Tropp of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois, for being a Christ-centered pastor who faithfully teaches both the law and the gospel. Thank you, Joe and Robin Groner, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. On the next Moments of Assurance weekend, I'll share thoughts about the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man who thought he had it all together until suddenly he died and went to Hades, the poor man who never had it together here. When he died, he was in heaven. Join me for Moments of Assurance weekend this Saturday and Sunday, 7.45 a.m., when I will contrast the two and apply it to you right here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're looking at Exodus chapter eight here, and uh, you know this this is just there's so many questions really to ask, um, and, and I'm really glad to to say that uh, it looks like I and my guest here today, Pastor Christopher Morandi, pastor at St. John Bingen in Decatur, Indiana, are asking some of the same sorts of questions. You're trying to put our heads together. We were just talking about before the break about, you know, maybe there are two sets of, of signs, um, and they're kind of characterized differently and have different messages in some ways between them. I don't know. You guys bring your thoughts in. If you got any questions or comments for us, give us a call. Uh, you can call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Also, you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or if you follow along on Facebook, you can just add a comment to the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. So, yeah. Uh, oh, and also don't want to forget here. Thank you. Big thank you for our underwriters, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you for your support of Thy Strong Word, their website, lhfmissions.org. All right. So, brother, yeah, uh, just before the break, I was just saying, you know, m- maybe do you think that there's a kind of like creative, uncreative, maybe sort of idea? Um, I, I don't know. Um, and, and I think I also mentioned there, too, that the the flies, the, the mention is the the ruination of the land, and I, yeah, I think it's kind of like there um, in a in, in a sense for the previous set, um, the, the stink right of the fish and the frogs is mentioned, uh, but I, I believe that the word for ruin is a little bit stronger here, different. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on on those ideas? 
Yeah, I, and I, I was thinking too during the break. Uh, there, there are uh, two distinct things about the flies, and maybe it's maybe it's not necessarily just just the flies themselves, but it's the effect. Yeah, they ruin the land, and I think too that distinction idea is what panics Pharaoh, um, yeah. because because now now the the Lord is making making a distinction, and Goshen is fly free, and mm-hmm. uh, um, that. That to me, he you you can you can probably explain these things away. I, I remember from uh, uh, I, I don't know how many of our listeners are have uh, Charlton Heston in mind when we when we <laughs> yeah. But uh, I remember Ramsey's in that uh, Yule Brenner saying uh, all these things happened of themselves, and he says the the Nile the Nile went went wonky, and the frogs had to leave when they died. Then the gnats came. And okay, maybe you can get along with that for a little bit, but then God makes that distinction, and suddenly things are much more serious. And um, yeah, and and that demonstrates what is going uh, going on. And the land of Egypt is ruined. The land of Goshen is just fine. And so yeah, there's an escalation in effect, and then there's that distinction. I think both those things uh, really put the fear into into Pharaoh. Yeah, well, yeah, no, that, that's right, and it is interesting, right? Because the distinction is not just um, in, individual Hebrews and individual Egyptians, right? Um, but it's it's the land, and it keeps getting back to that, right? The land of Egypt versus the land of Goshen, and the land of Egypt, it says, gets ruined, but the land of Goshen gets spared, which. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think those two things are going together here. And um, I remember I was I was talking to my wife yesterday about about the plagues and um, one of the things that you know for a long time even I think that I had you kind of like go over and you try to remember like okay what were the plagues anyway you try to start trying to name them all um, and one of the things that I think I never connected the dots on was the connection between the the hail and the locusts and the text actually does that really and that's coming up um, but the focus is not so much on like oh look there's a plague of locusts and there's a hail like, and, and those are like that's crazy stuff right or even necessarily that it's unnatural I mean you can have every so many decades a really bad locust swarm or like mm-hmm. a really really bad hailstorm but but the point I think is that these things happen back to back and it totally annihilates the Egyptian uh, crop situation totally annihilates. The agriculture. So it's again this this emphasis on the destruction, the ruination of the land. But then, as you pointed out, distinct from the land of Goshen, because Goshen doesn't have that stuff. And so that's the crazy thing. And I wonder if, in some ways, too, it's a kind of prefiguring this idea of, um, you know, God's going to take them to a good land. And hey, look, He's already sparing the land that they live on. Uh, I want to hold that thought. We got a question here on the phone um, here on verse nine. Uh, we got James from St. Louis. Brother, thanks for giving us a call. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, uh, Pastor. Um, I'm looking at that phrase, uh, glory over me, and I want to kind of address questions to you and questions to our guest pastor. Okay. Uh, First, to the the moderator, uh, I'd like to know, in regards to that phrase, glory over me, is Moses asking Pharaoh to glory over him, or is he asking Pharaoh to glory over God? What verse? And is this an example? Uh, it's, that's in verse nine. Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I got you. All right. 
Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Is he asking? Is he asking Pharaoh to glory over him or to glory over God? And that's to the mm-hmm. moderator. Also okay. to the moderator. If this is so, then is this some kind of unmitigated gall of Moses to demand that Pharaoh, you know, this first among equals, glory over him? Hmm. And uh, hmm. to the uh, guest pastor, uh, is God wanting? the submission of Pharaoh's heart and heart, or does he want repentance from a softened heart? What is the distinction between the two? Is he, does he want Pharaoh's heart and heart uh, to submit, or does he want repentance from a softened heart? And kind of make okay. a distinction for me, please. Okay. And I'll hang All up right, in yeah. this. Yeah, th- thanks, James. Really, really good questions. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch what you you were referring to at first, but then it hit me that you were talking about the King James translation, um, because yes, in Exodus chapter eight, verse nine, um, in the ESV, I think what we just read was something along the lines of like "be pleased to," um, but in the KJV, yeah, King Old King James version, we've got "glory over me." When shall I entreat for thee? Uh, just sounds like poetry, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a good question. And it's just one of the many ways. And I think we talked about, we keep talking about this really, like all the ways that, um, the KJV is hard to understand. And in fact, uh, James, to your your last question about the hardening of the heart, I think we need to go back to that. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, but, uh, I don't, I don't think we really, we got to unpack this more because I think this is another way that we're not understanding that KJV translation of the, of this Hebrew word. So, uh, but just to like do one at a time here. So, uh, when he, when he says, you know, glory over me here, um, I think, I think the, the ESV's translation is, is pretty good. I, I think the idea is he's being really polite, um, that he's actually being submissive um, when he's saying this, and it's sort of like, you know, you might say like, uh, you know, your grace, your majesty, um, you know, and, and I don't know what, even modern day lawyers, you know, might say something like, you know, uh, would it, ple- you know, uh, pl- the court be pleased or please the court or something like that, you know, yeah. and it's uh, this kind of uh, very polite, old fashioned, formal way of speaking. So I think that it's just that he's showing uh, po- submissiveness really before Pharaoh, um, which is, which is really striking because this is not, um, like gall or audacity necessarily. Um, and, and I think this is something that we kind of glossed over too. When, when, you know, Moses, you know, famously says, you know, let my people go. Uh, he's not saying liberate the people, like, or just, you know, let, let them all be free. Um, he, I mean, he really says, actually, if you, if you literally look at the word in Hebrew, it's send them um to worship god (laughs) right it's like basically um give your permission for them to go worship for this you know this little celebration right so that's really fascinating it's a good question it's a good thing that you uh, bring out with your question that i I mean there is this submissiveness actually in in the text um which i think kind of paves the way then uh to uh the the other question you had and i'll go ahead and let uh, pastor Mirandi have the first uh, stab at it but what what God is doing here with Pharaoh and what what his intentions are for these confrontations with Pharaoh? Yeah, it's it to me it's kind of analogous uh, to uh, to Judas in a sense uh, when when Jesus 
uh, talks about Judas, uh, he says, the Son of Man must be betrayed, but woe to that man by whom it happens. And mm-hmm. so God's going to get his people out of Egypt, um, and he's going to do it one way or another, uh, but woe to the man who hardens his heart to, uh, to make it happen. Uh, we, we know from the scriptures that God desires not the death of a sinner, but that all would turn to him and live. And I, that is his desire for Pharaoh as well. And so he is looking to uh, break down Pharaoh's heart, uh, soften his heart, uh, break his heart, so that uh, he will willingly and without the destruction of his land uh, send out the, the people of Israel. Uh, but God knows Pharaoh, and he tells Moses, this isn't going to be easy. You aren't going to be able to just throw a couple sticks on the ground and turn them into snakes, and it's all going to be good. <laughs> right. um, this isn't going to be easy. And then when Pharaoh consistently, continually hardens his own heart, then, as I mentioned uh, uh, before the break, then we get kind of the Romans 1 idea of, of God hands, hands him over to his own, his own sin. And that's a terrifying thing. Uh, that's a that's a, a very very terrifying thing when it, when God says okay have it your way, and 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 actually actively hardens Pharaoh's heart. He doesn't do that at the beginning. That's always important to uh, to keep in mind that Pharaoh himself is the one who hardens his heart at the beginning. And God does not want <laughs> it, it, he desires not the death of any sinner, including Pharaoh. Yeah, well, no, that, that, that's good, and I appreciate that you bringing up that you know, the, we should pay attention to this thing about you know the hardening of the heart, and this is another instance where the KJV is is you know perhaps um, it's it's easy to be misled anyway or misinterpret it that when when you see hardened right or his heart was hardened um, that can sound like passive causative like it's God doing it every single time in a kind of you know, supernatural way, but is that really what the text is getting at? And, and to what you were just saying, it, it seems like with these confrontations, God is actually trying to kind of, in, in a sense, you know, wear Pharaoh down, um, or, or, or perhaps in another way, and, and we'll have to spend some time talking about this um, uh, in, in a moment, but, you know, perhaps actually even maybe the other way, kind of almost, um, to, to use a metaphor, kind of handing him the rope, you know, you know, you know like he's just kind of like, just giving him more, just just feeding the fire, like okay, yeah, go you go on ahead, like he's like he's actually painting him into a corner, uh, you might say, where it's just like because there's a steady escalation, he just feels like he can't back down, um, and he yeah. and, and this is, I mean, this is because this is interesting because it goes back actually to what God said, right? Because this is the refrain, isn't it? That every time they they don't um, that they they go back to Pharaoh and it says, you know, and Pharaoh didn't listen. It says there in the text, right, just like God said, right? Yeah. So God knew that he wasn't going to listen, right? So clearly um, God wasn't trying to change Pharaoh's mind with this. No, actually the, the point was that Pharaoh would have this, this stubborn reaction. So uh, this process is actually is a, is a deliberate escalation. Um, and, and that's what you get like earlier in the text. I think it was in chapter seven um, that, you know, hey, he's not going to listen, but that is for the purpose that I may multiply. Yeah, it was back in chapter seven, verse three, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So it, it seems that the way that he's doing this, he's doing it in a way so that Egypt's going to see all of this stuff 
Um, and it's not like Pharaoh is just going to be like, okay, on the first one, but then Egypt is deprived of witnessing the glory of God. Yeah, yeah. and that's the, the goal throughout, it's over and over again, is that, uh, that they may know, and it's, it's both, if I'm remembering correctly, it's both referred to Pharaoh and his people, and even the people of Israel, that they may know that I am the Lord. Right. Uh, that refrain is all the way through this, over and over again, all the way up until the, the Red Sea, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. This, this idea that they will know through all these mighty signs and wonders, everyone who's involved, and then uh, by extension then us, the readers, will know that the Lord is God. That's right. So, I mean, and this, and this goes back to, I think, how we set it up in chapter two, that you kind of have a little bit um, allegorically there. Moses is like, hey, I know, I'll just kill the Egyptians secretly and run away. Um, and maybe that's how Israel will, will get out, right? We'll just commit some secret um, rebellion, insurrection, right? Some shady stuff, and we'll just slip out in the night. Uh, no, that's not, that's not how we're going to rescue God's people. We're going to do this in the face of everyone. And in fact, we're even going to get Pharaoh's permission. <laughs> in fact, we're going we're gonna to break Pharaoh down so bad that he's going to command you to leave. I, I mean, and that's kind of, I think, the brilliance of it that gives so much glory to God. It's that Moses starts off very politely. Isn't this brilliant? He starts off politely asking, right, um, to this point, like about James's question, right? You know, glory over me, or you know, be pleased to, right? He's politely asking if they can just go on this field trip, this weekend retreat, to go worship Yahweh, right? But God is is just building it up to the point where Pharaoh is actually just going to command that they all just leave forever. I mean, that's yeah. that's just the brilliance of it. He's going to turn his enemy around so that he's just commanding exactly what he wants him to do. Yeah, yeah. And and he's going to he's going to essentially uh, push him out and get say, get away from me. I don't want anything more to do with you. Um, yeah. And then, of course, his heart hardens one last climactic time. Well, and, and then, yeah, and then <laughs> we get kind of actually one more big sign at the end, right, yeah. where you've got the the Red Sea, right? And if that's not a plague, like a strike, um, you know, what you know what is? Uh, so, yeah, so <clears throat> I think that kind of takes us maybe back a, like a little bit to this. So it, it's in some ways, I wonder if this first set of signs— is, is more directed towards the magicians, that this is God showing his mastery over creation um, as one who can, I, I mean, he, he dictates what the water, you know, is, what water is going to be drinkable and what isn't, right? Um, that that he, uh, he, can, he, can, he can multiply and cause swarms of frogs. He can turn uh, a, a gra- the ground, you know, lifeless dirt, into lice or gnats, um, he can, with the first one, he can turn a lifeless staff into uh, a snake. And so it's, a, it's kind of this mastery over life idea. And at the end of it, he's made his point to the sorcerers. They say, yeah, we can't do that. Uh, we, we, cannot, we cannot compete with that. And it's really interesting, too, that the first two are actually signs that God gave Moses previously. Um, I mean, back, back when he was out um, you know, in the wilderness, he told Moses, hey, there's the staff turning into a snake, and there's also water into blood. So he gives them those two, but then he got, he goes these like two further, right, um, in, in the narrative here um, that really finally go over the top and convince uh, the sorcerers. But then after the sorcerers have been convinced, right, 
now it's just God and Pharaoh at this point. Um, it, it is it is just, um, hey, like I, I'm looking straight straight at you. Your sorcerers are not going to be the ones um, who are, are kind of like your your yes men who are like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. No, they're running for the hills. Um, and this is like just I think at this turn with flies, it's just directly squared off. You know, God against Pharaoh, which is then going to lead him in the end to say, okay, you all get out command of pharaoh himself yeah yeah the it it is interesting how it gets how it gets stripped down to and it, it, it's a common misconception uh to say it's moses versus pharaoh um, right actually moses because of his uh uh presumed inability to speak well uh it's not even moses he's just uh he's, he's got aaron there to to be kind of the the spokesman but but those two, they are very, they're very clearly the instruments, and it is it is Yahweh versus uh, versus Pharaoh, and uh, and God is going to get His people out one way or another if it takes ten plagues. And I was just thinking, actually, Pastor, that uh, if we count the Red Sea as a sign, and you also count the the changing of the staffs, uh, you do get twelve. So um, that's a good biblical well, number too. So <laughs> well, see, isn't isn't that interesting, right? So if we count that, there's twelve. Which I mean, that that's that's interesting because there is a sense where this is the the genesis of the people of God. They are they are, they are created the people of God. You know, the twelve tribes we're going to have come out of this once we get into to uh, to Cana, um, the line of Canaan rather. Um, so there is there is that. But then I wonder also. If we go and we split these off into two sets, like you were saying earlier, and so th- these first four, then um, they would be you know, the the snake, um, the blood, the um, the frogs, and the gnats. If those are meant to be demonstrations and signs, right? Okay, look, you're you're really dealing with a, a god here, like a re- a real um, you know god that you need to pay attention to, and he's pretty powerful. You know, has this mastery over creation, your sorcerers, he's stronger than your sorcerers, right? Okay, point has been made, and now Pharaoh's going to be brought, you know, to the bargaining table um, once these things start happening. Like we were saying, there's a different kind of thing. It's about the land of uh, Egypt being ruined now, and Pharaoh's going to kind of directly bear that because <laughs> now he, no one else is, like, speaking up and saying, oh, yeah, no, keep on. It's No, it's just him, right? So we, we had this transition. So if those four set off, Right, then then you just have these these back this back half, um, and it, it is it's interesting to consider depending on how you look at these things. I was mentioning earlier, you know, the focus is on the the land and what's going on. So if the locusts and hail are not so much like, oh hey look, it's a plague of locusts, and oh hey look, it's a it's a plague of hail, but it's really the 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 plague against their their crops and agriculture goes together. The, yeah. Yeah, we we could actually wind up then with seven, um, which which could be I mean you know again going back to the number seven that was mentioned um, earlier in chapter at the end of chapter seven right that seven days that maybe we're supposed to see now if the second set is about decreation right everything just going crazy getting sick dying um, all the rest is this then what we have with the starting with the flies here uh, the seven days of decreation. And that's supposed to be the scary message that the Egyptians are getting. Mm-hmm. Well, and that—that's why the ninth plague, uh, darkness, is is so significant in a sense. In that we've got uh, 
the extinguishing of light, uh, of course, the first day of creation, and then then you get to the climactic one, which uh, yeah. which is the extinguishing of of human life, which has not been touched really uh, throughout all this. I mean, it's certainly the boils affected people. Certainly, people are are certainly affected by all these things, but human life is not directly taken until until we get to the the Passover itself. Right. Well, no, and that's um. This this is interesting, you know. When when you say okay, so maybe maybe there is like a pattern that's being set off here. Yeah. That you know the the first four are okay. The the kind of the warm up. You know, I'm going to get rid of your sorcerers. Um, get, so it's just you and me, Pharaoh, right? Um, okay, and then and then fly starts off, kicks off something new. If maybe there are seven, um, but how do you line those up then with the day of days of creation, right? Because like you were saying, I think that's one of the things that kind of. Um, I think I think dissuades people from wanting to go there because they say like, well, but how does that work? Because that's you know the the sun that's or, or light light's day one or maybe it's day four, right? You know, so it's sort of like you know everyone's just sort of like hmm, um, and, and it doesn't seem to line up. But um, one of the things that that I uh, this was really interesting. In fact, we had earlier um, on this week we had uh, Dr. David Adams from Concordia Seminary, mm-hmm. and so I mean he he was the one who actually introduced me to this. But in the Egyptian creation myth the order is a little bit different and it's really something when you look at the egyptian order and you compare it to what's going on in exodus right and if this is supposed to be a scary message that god's sending pharaoh and his people right has he perhaps accommodated what he's doing and it's a it's scary from an egyptian perspective right because they're looking at this and they're like oh no Oh no! Right, like I mean, and they know where this is. They should, I guess, they should know where this is going in some ways. Um, but then they go and they walk right into the trap. Right, they just go ahead and uh, hang themselves, so to speak. So yeah, I, I do wonder if there is actually a little bit of a correlation. So I mean, with with the flies here, um, you know, I don't, I don't think we necessarily need to be saying like, oh, okay, this is corresponding with, you know, day five or um, you know, day six or something on the on the Genesis one um, scale of things, but uh, more, I think this idea that, Hey, look at this. Um, this is sort of maybe from an Egyptian perspective, like one of the, like one of the things that the tip of the iceberg of creation, mm-hmm. and it's just going to get like worse and worse and worse. And so this is, I think maybe the point where we ought to uh, introduce this idea here. The, the word for flies is actually kind of uncertain and people go back and forth on what these things really were. Right. Yeah, they they don't really know. We usually call them flies, and that's what kind of as as I was preparing, I was wondering is uh, is is the panic created because they were something worse than flies, which is certainly possible. I still kind of think uh, some of the other factors we've discussed probably uh, were even more weighty in creating panic in Pharaoh. But uh, but yeah, we don't know. It's a, they're swarming creatures of some sort, and and commentators are not sure exactly how to distinguish them from. From the gnats, which even those we're not entirely sure if those yeah. are. We've, we've got two groups of insects, we know that, and, and they are yeah. different from the locusts uh, that come in, in chapter 10. But uh, what exactly they are, uh, yeah. it, it, we don't really know. Yeah, you know, and that's really fascinating because I was I was looking at that word, um, you know, and it's because so the weird the weird thing is that in English it's it's swarms of flies, swarms of something, but in 
in Hebrew, it's just it's just swarms, <laughs> and so it's sort of like you're just sort of like, well, of of what? Um, I mean, the the word, the Hebrew word arov, it, it can it seems like it almost can refer to any kind of pest, right? And so when you think of you know pest control, you think of like you know pests. It's like, well, I mean, that could be anything. I mean, it could be flies, it could be spiders, it could be, I mean, it could be you know possums, could be could be, you know could be could be snakes, you know. I mean, who? all of the above, right? I mean, maybe that's actually why it's so scary that it's just kind of like he throws the kitchen sink at him right here. And it's just all kinds of swarms of pests are all just happening, right? Um, but but kind of uh, it, regardless, these are all these like, uh, I don't know, it, it's disrupting life, right? But it's not disrupted and ruined in the way it's going to be. The decreation is going to get worse. So yeah, um, life is is hard right now. No one wants to live in a place that's swarming with pests, Right. Uh, but it's going to get even worse when livestock start dying, crops start dying, the sun goes out, right? Like, I mean, it's just the, the decreation escalates from here. And, and everything you counted on uh, for, you know, agricultural society, which all civilizations were, and, and to, a, to a great extent we still are, right? We all, we all need our food. Uh, that is, that's a terrifying thing, famine. Uh, and so you have the the animals are dying, and now the plants are uh, are going, the fields are going too, and yeah, it's a complete decreation of of uh, of of the world and what uh, what this fruitful earth was to provide for man. Right. Well, when I think that that's really then so beautiful when you hold this up in the context of Passover and the cross of the Lord Jesus, that it's through mm-hmm. decreation, it's through death. That God brings life and recreation, and so in in decreation, in the death of His Son Jesus, then right, that's what what brings forth life and Easter and the second Exodus, and and so seeing that death to life theme and God putting to death that He may resurrect, I think is so key, and it sets us up for the theme of of Christ and Easter and, and the resurrection, which we um, continue to celebrate in this season after Pentecost and the Ascension. So. Thank you so much, brother, for joining us. Lots of good things here. Uh, God's peace be with you and the people there in uh, Decatur. Thank you so much. It was a privilege to be on. Thank you. Uh, Everybody, that was Pastor Christopher Morandi, pastor at St. John Bingen in Decatur, Indiana. These are so cool. We're going to look at this pattern more, and we didn't talk about the the hardening of the heart this time. Maybe we'll be able to sneak it in next time. Good stuff to be thinking about. Help us understand how the story really works. Okay, until then, I'm Pastor H.S. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.